Hey everyone, this is Tom with a quick pre-introduction to the introduction you're about to hear. The following episode, episode 89, was recorded, most of it was recorded a few months ago, so we have been very late in getting this out, and that's been my fault especially, and I apologize to everyone involved, but there's been some, as you all know, some crazy things that have been happening in our world over the last uh, month, really, especially, but the last couple of months. Um, so anyway, this was recorded before the coronavirus issues that we're all dealing with now really... Uh, I guess hit the fans, so to speak. So that's why there are no references to it throughout this show. But with that being said, I hope you can put all that stuff out of your mind for a while. We don't talk about it in the rest of the show because it really wasn't happening at this point as we, as we recorded it. But I do hope that everyone out there is doing well, staying safe, staying healthy, not going to stir crazy being at home. And we certainly wish everyone out there all the best. And uh, we'll be addressing some of this stuff in the near future on the show. But for now, this is another WKW Pleasure episode, episode 89. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 89 of the Great Divide podcast. We're back with another WKW Pledger episode. And hello, Svine. Svine is with us as always. How you doing, buddy? Hello, Tom. We're doing pretty good. Good. So we've got a couple of guests on the show today, both of which, again, were pledgers for the WKW crowdfunding campaign. And um, they pledged at a certain tier level that got them on the show. So we're, we're excited to talk to both of them. Today, we've got a guy named Gene Malang and someone that many of you might remember from, uh, well, not just remember, but no, John Lewis, very active on our Facebook page and a guy who's been around the big country fan community online since its inception, really. So we're looking forward to yeah. talking to both of them. Two very different conversations. So we, we have one who um, was part of the mailing list gang and has moved over to Facebook and always been part of really supporting the podcast. And then the other one who, as it turned out, and this was a little strange given his pledge, was not aware of the podcast and uh, didn't ha has never listened to a single episode. That's Gene, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but you know he wanted to uh, to have this talk and uh, and that's great. But one side effect of that was he had no idea who I was. So and he was very interested in the WKW album. So that was one where he had mostly a conversation with Tom. So I stepped aside a bit for for that for natural reasons. Yeah, so that first conversation will be uh, not completely swine-free, but fairly swine-free. But but don't worry, because Svine comes back into the mix more <laughs> in the John Lewis I don't conversation. Think, I don't think anyone worries. <laughs> I think they say, oh, a break. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so let's let's jump right into it. Let's start with Gene, and Gene's is also interesting because Gene actually wanted to ask a couple questions to the band, and um, so we said, "Yeah, sure, you know, give us some questions, and we'll, th we'll we'll email them to the band, and I'm sure they'll send back their responses." And they didn't just email back responses; they also recorded responses, which are actually pretty pretty interesting and funny. So you'll hear those. So uh, let's jump right into it. This is Gene Malang. All right, so we are with Gene Malang, and uh, first of all, Gene, I just wanted to—I said this off air before we started recording, but I'll say it again here too. Um, first of all, thank you so much for supporting the WKW campaign, and uh, you know the 
we really appreciate it and it's an it's a pleasure to have you on our show and in talking with gene he hasn't even heard an episode of the show before so this is going to be good for us to explain <laughs> explain a little bit what we do but uh yeah so gene tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and uh how long you've been a big country fan and then we'll get into like the meat of our discussion i am in everett washington here in the united states it's about 20 minutes north of seattle and i've Followed Big Country from the first time I saw the video in a Big Country on MTV. I was hooked, went out, bought the album, and have been an avid fan ever since. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. So um, just just some you know more general fan base questions. What's your favorite Big Country album? Uh, probably Buffalo Skinners. Oh, nice. I, I really like that album. Plus... The time I got to see them live was on the Buffalo Skinners tour, so there's that kind of connection as well. So probably Buffalo Skinners. Oh, fantastic! And and that was the first time I ever saw the band was on the Buffalo Skinners tour. I saw them in uh, in D.C. in uh, Georgetown at a place called the Bayou. So where did you see them on that tour? I saw them actually in in Canada. They didn't come to Seattle on that particular trip, so I went and saw them up at a at a club up in Canada called the Town Pump. Was it was it was it well attended? Was it a good show? Yeah, it was a really good show. It's funny. I went with a friend of mine, and of course, I got to be right up front because I want to take in every little thing. He started out next to me. By the second or third song, I have no idea where he went because he just got filtered out. He wasn't willing to fight hard enough for a spot, <laughs> and it was uh, so much fun. The crowd was just so into it, and there was so much energy. It was really a memorable experience. That's why I can't wait to go see them again. Oh, that's great. That's great. And of course, Svein is here with us if we haven't introduced him in the course of the show already. Um, hello, Svein. Hello. Carry on. <laughs> Good. So, uh, yeah. So, Gene, part of uh, part of your appearance here, you had a, a, um, some questions that you wanted to ask. And you wanted to ask me and you wanted to ask Bruce and Jamie. And, and you know, I'm, I'm ready to answer them. Bruce and Jamie have already answered them because they couldn't be on the show today. They're busy doing stuff as they always are the hardest working band in show business probably certainly the the most well traveled i can i would imagine but um but yeah do you do you want to start with some of the questions do you want to start with anything else or how would you like to begin i I would like to answer some questions and then kind of see where that where that takes us based on you know what we learn that would be great and and any answers that i give if if anything like leads you into a different uh train of thought and you want to ask anything else like you just said feel free so whatever you want to do is is great. The floor is yours. Perfect. And and fine if you want to, anytime you can in, provide some input as well, it'd be appreciated. So the first thing I kind of wanted to know from you is how did the idea of working together and doing an album come together between you, Bruce, and Jamie? Well, um, yeah, it's it's a that's a long story too. But I'll try to make it as brief as I can, which is something I'm not that good at, as listeners of the podcast will know, and and you might know Gene if you start listening to the show. Uh, <laughs> but uh, basically, I mean, I, I've I've gotten to know Bruce over the years. Um, I I met him a few times well before I did the podcast, and then after doing the podcast, we had him on the show, and we just sort of um, got in touch that way. And I've been a, an independent musician for years. I've released my own music, um, my own albums, my own CDs. And the, the most recent one that I released was an EP and called Rail. And I knew Bruce well enough at the time that I felt comfortable enough like sending him one of my songs while I was working on it and asking him what he thought of it, if he had any opinions on it. 
and uh, he was really complimentary of it. He's like, I really love this, you know, and he and he made some comments that made me think that he wasn't just saying these things, but that he really thought about it and was listening to it. So after that, I just I thought um, he'd expressed before, you know, like he wanted to write songs again, and he was having, um, you know, he he wanted to be able to write some more songs, and he just hadn't had time to really sit down and do it. So I I thought, well. I'm just going to put this out there, and if he says no, that's fine. At least I'll have asked him. And I sent him an email and said, hey, if you ever want to write a song together, I'm more than happy to do it. I'd, I'd love to work with you. And, and again, I didn't really expect anything to come out of it. And then a couple of days later, he sent me an email with, with two demos that he had put together over the years. And he said, see what you can do with these. These are two demo songs that I've never uh, been able to finish and see if you can come up with any ideas to finish them. One of those songs was called Seven Swords. And um, so I really love Bruce's version of it already, but I thought maybe it needed a chorus that it didn't have, and I, I had some ideas for it. So I, I went ahead and recorded something for him um, because I thought that was the best way to present to him you know, whatever I had in mind rather than trying to explain it in words. i just record something. So I recorded really like a full version of what I envisioned the song to be, and I sent it to him. And uh, not knowing what he would think of about it, he came back and said that he loved it, and he and Jamie really loved it. So that's sort of what set the ball rolling. We started to work on that song. Um, we worked on a couple others. We released an EP called Hands Across the Ocean early uh, early this year or late last year, and that was received really well by people. And um, we just enjoyed doing it so much that we thought, well, let's just keep working and see if we can put a whole album together. And so, uh, yeah, and so that's what we did with Men of Steel. Took a long time, but it's finally done. It's interesting. I listened to the album twice last night, like I mentioned earlier, around the air. And one of the notes I made about Seven Swords was, I thought it was really a catchy song. And to me, that seems like a song the crowd's going to sing along to when you play it live. It just has that kind of course to it. And I, and I especially love the last 30 seconds part of it. But yeah, that, that was a really catchy. I can see the crowd, you know, bouncing and singing along to that song. And so that's interesting to find out. I, I hope I get um, a chance to see that. <laughs> I, I do too, especially if you guys come anywhere on the West Coast. So kind of following up on the writing part of it, with Bruce and Jimmy being in Scotland and you being in New York, how did that songwriting process go? Well, actually, I'm in the D.C. area. Um, okay yeah so i'm close to new york but you know not quite there but uh either way the question remains the same um yeah i mean it was interesting because we never ever sat in a room and wrote songs together obviously and we never even um spoke on the phone really or anything like that so it basically would all come down to uh bruce would send me a piece of of well most of the time it would be bruce would send me something that he had been working on and didn't think he could fit. He didn't think he had it finished. Thought it could use someone else's uh, opinion or input, and he would record something and send it to me. And then I would take that and I would uh, f- play around with it and see if I if anything came to mind that I thought could make the song different or better or just put my own stamp on it. And then I would record what I envisioned it to be based on what he had sent me and send that back to him. 
And then he would say, okay, I really like this. I like this part, but I don't like this part. See if you can take this out. So that's pretty much how the process worked. We, we just kept sending things back and forth. It's like, it all, it's sort of like, uh, you know, like, like a sculpture in a way. Like he would send that rough bit of clay, which was his demo. And then I would add something to it. And then I'd send it to him. He'd add something to that and send it back to me. I'd add something else. And then eventually in that process, we'd say, okay, this song is done. This is really good. We like this. And, and this is it. So, um, so yeah, that's how it worked. And, you know, some of the songs, uh, you know, were just instrumentals and I would write lyrics for them. Some of them, uh, were things that, uh, well, for example, the song Smolder, uh, and no one's picked up on this yet, which I, I don't know if I should be surprised about it or not, but I don't know how many people listen to the original song, but, uh, that's actually a reworking of the song that Big Country did a few years ago called, um, Love is the Law. And I don't know if you ever heard that. That was, uh, a song that they recorded and released a video for, and Bruce sang on it. And Bruce said he he never really he liked the song, but it but it just it just didn't quite grab him like he wanted it to. And he he wanted it, wondered if anything else could be done to that some of the music in that song. So that's an example where I took something that was already a song and then took some parts from it and formed a new song out of that. And then again, Jamie and Bruce would add their parts, and then I would add my parts, and and it finally became the finished song so so yeah i don't know if that's a standard way of writing with people but uh that's kind of the way we did it just basically sending mp3s back and forth of what we what we had recorded or what we had in our minds and then eventually we came to a consensus about what we liked i hope so, that makes sense <laughs> no it, it does so for a lot of times you guys would write the music first and then you would try to put lyrics behind it or do you guys have kind of do you write a song lyrically and then say okay what music would i want to have this yeah which, which process usually comes first for you guys for me and for them I, I i know this is the case for them too it's always the music that's i mean i know some people write lyrics first but i think uh for a lot of people the music comes first and that's that's how i write songs so you know if i come up with i often would just sit around playing guitar and if i i come up with a part that i like i'll try to build that into something and um I'll think like, okay, well, this musical part would be a good verse, and then this musical part would be a good chorus, and I'll put it all together without any lyrics. And then what I'll often do is record just an instrumental, put it in a car while, I, while I'm driving and listen to it, and then kind of sing over it until I get a sense of what a melody might be. And then once I get what a melody might be, then I'll write, write the words to go along with the melody. So I, I find it really difficult to... I've tried it once or twice, but it's really difficult for me to take words that are there already and try to fit them into a song. I find it a lot easier to have the music there first and then fit the words into the music. So um, so that's that's what we did on these songs, too. And for some of them, you know, like Seven Swords, um, there's a demo version. And in Bruce's demo version that I mentioned, he had lyrics already. And so when I wrote a chorus for the song, I came up with different lyrics to add to the chorus. And then I took some of his lyrics and the verses and moved them around a little bit and added a couple new things. But his, his melody was already there. So he, he wrote the melody for that. Um, I think in the same way that I just described. So, so yeah, it's usually the music that comes first, at least in our case. Yeah. Cause when I mean, you mentioned the song smolder, one thing that I really found interesting about that song is, is it went directions I didn't anticipate at certain times, but always kind of came back home. Yeah. It was, so it was really, really interesting musically to listen to or instrumentally listen to listen to because there's it's went a lot like i said it kind of it wasn't just kind of the standard like three and a half minutes of we're going to have this going on 
it was very interesting, I thought. Oh, that's great to so, know. You know in, in the beginning, just real quick about that one, because in the beginning, like in the solo section, it, it was just like a, a typical solo that we had that Jamie played, and I thought it was great. I liked it, and it was Bruce's idea. He said, I don't want just another lead guitar solo in this section. I want I want something different. What, what else can you do in this uh, segment of the song that's that's not just another guitar solo? So that's when all that other stuff built came in, like the the weird violin and the other sounds and things like that. It was great, though. Yeah, I thought it came out great. It was a great idea that he had, and it, it really made the song a lot more interesting. I think so. Yeah, Bruce, Bruce is Bruce is a really smart guy. I mean, he's really he has great ideas, and uh, you know, like another thing, real quick, uh, the song "Lay the Coin." I mean, that was originally a much shorter song, and it just kind of started out with um, with a quick intro, and then the lyrics kicked in. But he it was his idea to give it a really big building intro. And um, which it has now, and then we took another one of his songs and sort of pasted it on the end and and made it one song, but we took two songs and bridged it into one song, and that was all his idea too. So uh, yeah, he's got a lot of great ideas, and just working with him, you can really get a sense for um, you know how important he was. I'm sure to the original Big Country, and and a lot of the, th- the things that we all often just think, well, that's all Stewart or Stewart did all all this, and not to take a, a thing away from Stewart, but um, Bruce was was definitely a huge part of that too. I mean, and that's, I think that's why Stuart chose him to, to start the band with because he could see that. So that's been really fun to, to be able to work with Bruce and see that firsthand, you know, how good of a musical mind he has. Well, lay the coin actually was my favorite song on the album. That's, that was my favorite song. I thought it was an incredibly strong album across the board, but that was, that song to me was my favorite one. As soon as the first couple little parts of the song, you're like, you were instantly hooked. Oh, that's and awesome. And it was strong. So when you're going back to the composing thing, this is more of a guitar question. You start, you're going to write music. How do you decide what kind of guitar you're going to use to get the sound that you want? Or do you like to just, you have like a primary guitar that you try to write almost all your music on? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, usually, um, usually when I'm just writing a song, I just usually have an acoustic guitar because it's easier for me to just pick up an acoustic guitar and start playing it. And then I, I will try to come up with some parts uh, on that that I think might sound good. And then after that, um, certainly so, sort of what inspires what guitar I'm going to use depends on how I envision the song. Like if it's going to be a heavy song with a lot of distortion in it, I'll probably pick up uh, my Les Paul guitar and use that because that sounds that typically has a big meaty, you know, distorted sound. If it's a song that's got more clean sounding guitars in it, like Lay the Coin, um, I, I would probably go with like a Telecaster. I don't have a ton of guitars, but I've I've, I've got to me like the two. I've, I think I've, I've got four electric guitars, and two of them are um, are the standard, you know, very 
the ones that almost every guitarist has, a Telecaster and a Les Paul. And um, sometimes the, the Telecaster sounds great for distorted things. It's got more of a biting, higher-end type of sound. But typically, I like to use the Telecaster for more clean-sounding songs and then the Les Paul for uh, bigger distorted songs. And then I've got... Um, the, the guitar that I love the most is an Ibanez... It's called an Ibanez Ballback. And it's a guitar that they only made for less than a year and it was the f one of the first quote-unquote real guitars that i ever owned and i used to play it in an old band i was in called the dissidents and it, it just has a big emotional uh connection to me and um i i recently had it like completely refurbished and redone and um it's got more of the les paul type sound to it as well but it's also got you know a sound all of its own but um i like to use that when i can too but uh the the Les Paul probably sounds better, but sometimes I'll use that one for nostalgic reasons. <laughs> Interesting. So I noticed like when we first got do the podcast and we did the crowdfunding, I wasn't that familiar with your work. So of course I YouTubed you and I noticed you have a, you did a lot of big country stuff. Yeah, I did. Um, what, what drew you to big country? You asked me at the beginning, what, what made you become a big, big country fan? Oh man. Um, well for me it was, uh, it was the song Fields of Fire that first got me. Um, I'd heard it in a big country before, and podcast listeners, I'll, I'll try to be brief with this because people who've listened to the show probably heard this story before more than once. But now I'd heard uh, in a big country before. For some reason, it didn't grab me. I don't know if I was just too young to, to really get it or something because obviously I love the song now. But um, when I saw the video for Fields of Fire and heard that bagpipe guitar sound, and I, I'm not ashamed to say that it sounds like bagpipes, and I don't think the band should be either. I mean, to me, it's that's what hooked me. I think it was that Celtic flavor more than anything, just that strident Celtic feel, the guitars. And um, so Fields of Fire really got me, and then Where the Rose is Sown is what totally put me over the top. I heard that on the radio, and I just... I was going through a period of in my life where I was starting to listen to different kinds of music. I'd been a... As a kid, I'd been a big heavy metal you know, fan, and that's where the, the Kiss reference came in. I was a big Kiss fan when I was a little kid. But now I was starting to listen to other types of music that was much deeper and much more, you know, advanced and more complex and more interesting in a lot of ways. And uh, when I heard Where the Rose is Sown, I just thought, I've never heard anything like this. I don't even know how to characterize this or categorize this music, but it just stirred something in me that, um, you know, just... It just feels like I, I've, I've said before, like, uh, you know, I, I felt almost like a, a sleeper agent or something, you know, who was pre-programmed to to come come alive when they hear a certain code or a certain code is repeated back to them. And that's sort of what like where the rose is sown in that big country sound was like the code that awakened me to this. And I think, oh, my gosh, this is this is the kind of music that I want to pursue for the rest of my life and listen to. Um, not that I only listen to big country, but, you know, that just that feel. Um, there's nothing like it to me. So yeah, it was, it was fields of fire and where the rose is sown that really got me. So one of the things I, I've asked Bruce, Jamie and yourself was when you just want to bring a smile to your face, what big country song do you sit and play on your guitar that just brings you to your happy place? Yeah. What's the one song for you? Gosh, there, there are a lot really. Um, I'll go with lately. It's been it's been where the roses sown. I just really and it comes back to again the beginning of the that was the song that got me. So I like to just sit around and play where the roses sown. Um, 
on acoustic. I was just playing that this morning. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that little riff at the beginning of that song is is always like the classic. You know the dun 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 dun. dun. That's like the classic big country sound to me. So I I love to play that. That's that's one of the many songs I, I love to play. Little bits of uh, the Restless Native soundtrack as well. You know some of the instrumental stuff that Stewart did that translates well to guitar because a lot of their early songs don't translate that well to acoustic guitar but um they can certainly be done so uh yeah i'd say i'd say where the rose is sung
Okay, so you, you had some questions too for Bruce and Jamie, and um, Bruce has actually answered his in audio form. Jamie answered his in written form. Bruce did both actually. <laughs> um, but uh, before we get to Bruce's responses to some of the questions, you want to you want to ask? Uh, why don't you ask the Jamie questions, and then I'll read the responses that Jamie has sent us. Sounds perfect. Um, same question I asked of you a few moments ago is, is what big country song does Jamie play when he just wants to kind of bring a smile to his face and just have a happy moment? Okay, great. So Jamie says, and I can't do an, I can't do an accent well, so I'm just going to read it in my American accent. Jamie says, I love to play Fields of Fire. It's a great one to watch the crowd go wild to. So short and succinct, but uh, that's the one he loves. Another question I had for Jamie was, what about watching your dad and listening to the music inspired you to say, that's what I want to do? Yeah, that's, I've often wondered that myself. So, so Jamie's answer to that is, um, I always used to look forward to my dad coming home from tour with the latest Big Country CD, listening to it and getting excited about seeing the songs perform live. Getting to hang out at Rockfield Studios while they were recording Driving to Damascus was another pivotal moment in me starting on this path, too. So that's pretty cool. It's it's cool to imagine him sitting there watching them recording Driving to Damascus and sort of uh, being inspired that this was a career path he wanted to take. Yeah, that's really interesting, I think. And the last question I had for Jimmy was, when you just want to relax and play, what is your go-to guitar? Okay, so Jamie again says, my chill-out guitar would be my Fender Telecoustic or my Black Paisley Stratocaster. So there you go. They do have a Stratocaster and... Uh, now I really want to get one. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. So I asked uh, this, some a couple of the similar questions to Bruce, with the first one, of course, being what's what song do you play when you just want to kind of be in a happy place? Yeah, and Bruce answered this first in written form, and then he wrote wrote me back and said, you know, why don't I answer these in audio form? It'd be, it'd be more fun. You could play it on the podcast. So... Bruce actually has answered these questions, and here is his answer to the question you just asked. Hello, Tom. Hello, John. And hello, Svein. This is Bruce, and I'm sitting backstage at the Brook in Southampton. And I've got to answer some questions from a, a lovely chap, or it could be a lovely gal, a person called Jean Malang. Now, Jean, if you're a guy, I'll speak in my masculine voice. And Jean, if you're a lady, I'll speak in my sexy, effeminate voice. And if you're confused about your sexuality, then I'm not going to answer you at all. Okay, let's say Jean's a guy. Hi Jean, the song that doesn't bring a smile to my face is Eggplant. I don't like the chorus and it doesn't have a good beat to it. I did try to dance with it with my wife but we ended up having a punch-up. On the other hand, Wonderland makes me happy. It reminds me of good times. Another question I had for Bruce is, do you have any concerns about Jamie being a professional musician? This next question comes from Jean Malang. Wait a minute. That name rings a bell. <clears throat> anyway, I didn't have any concerns about Jamie becoming a professional musician as I knew he had what it takes from an early, early age. I did suggest he become a doctor or a lawyer, but he then told me to fuck off. I guess he was really focused from an early age. He was only five when he told me this. <laughs> And the other thing to which I asked Bruce the same question I've asked uh, Jamie was, when you just want to relax and play, what is your go-to guitar? And question number three. This is from Gene. Bloody hell, Gene, you're a real nosy bugger, aren't you? You want to know everything. Okay, 
Who can I start with this one? I never really pick up a guitar to relax these days. I find closing my eyes and dreaming of guitars is much more relaxing than playing one. Maybe a lovely Gibson Firebird or an ES-295. Now their guitar's worth dreaming about, Gene. Are you listening, Gene? And I thought Bruce's answer was really interesting that he doesn't play. He just thinks about guitars. That was interesting, yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. And then finally, yeah, at Elite Vintage Guitars, they have a, a Bruce and Jamie used Yamaha SF500. And being a little bit of a collector of things at times and being a, a huge fan, I'm trying to coordinate to, to get it. There were some issues with the Rosewood, but I think we've got those things worked out. He's just waiting to get Bruce to sign it. Oh, nice. Me. Nice. And so I kind of want to know what songs he used uh, that particular guitar for. And the final question. And yes, you've guessed it, boys and girls. It's come from the Gene Genie himself. Hello again, Gene. Whoopty bloody do. Mr. Nosy 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 Biscuits. So, Gene, you want to know about the Yamaha SF500, otherwise known as the Super Flighter? Well, let me tell you this, Gene, and are you listening, Gene? The Yamaha Super Flighter 500 is a double octave neck guitar, so I only use it in the studio when I want to go up the dusty end. Have you got that, Gene? Right. I don't use it live, as sometimes I get confused in the heat of battle and end up playing the wrong notes. Are you listening, Gene? The one I have is a late 70s one, and it plays like a dream, Gene. Now, have you got that, Gene? Are you happy, Gene? Now, come and buy a t-shirt, Gene. Gene! Gene! Come on! For me, um, to be able to, to have a guitar in my collection that you know he's played is going to be a really nice centerpiece. And I don't have a lot of collectible stuff, but that's one of those things where that, that'll be pretty high on the list. Oh, that's me. great. That's really fantastic. That'd be so cool to have. I'm envious of that one. Yeah, it'll be, it's a, I guess he, he's going to get him to sign a, a pick guard for me. And then uh, it'll, it'll go up on the wall. It'll get played a little bit just because you have to say you've played the same thing that Bruce or Jamie's played, but it'll, it'll mostly be on the wall with a, do not touch. <laughs> <laughs> do not touch. Do not even look at. Yeah, you can look at it from a safe distance. I'll get some velvet <laughs> rope to put around it. That's great. So one of the things I asked both of them that I'm curious what your response would be as well is when you just want to relax, what is your go-to guitar? Is it your acoustic? Yeah, usually it is. Uh, I just, um, you know, I it's just, just for ease of use. I have a couple acoustics. They're both Yamahas sitting around, and uh, one is upstairs, one is downstairs, and wherever I happen to be, if I feel the urge, I'll just pick that up and just start strumming it. So, like I said, I listened to the album a couple times last night to really familiarize myself, and I was really impressed with just how strong it is across the board. And so I'm wondering is, is do you see the WKW becoming more of a priority for everyone moving forward? I, I, I can't say this would be a priority because – Looking at it, real. I mean, for me, it is. I mean, musically, for me, this is like the high point of my musical career. <laughs> you know, this is great. I mean, playing with your, with one of your idols and and two members of the band that you love more than any other band is incredible for me. Um, for Bruce and Jamie, you know, they make their living playing with Big Country and the Skids. And as much as they have enjoyed this project and still enjoy it and are proud of it, like we all are, um, you know, you got to look at it realistically. Would would a would a tour of WKW 
be something that would be financially rewarding for them. I mean, the, the music the music business is just so different these days, um, and especially for you know people of a certain age, which I include myself, I guess, in, in some respect too. But you know that Bruce and Jamie are doing great right now with Big Country. Big Country seems to have have picked up a, a resurgence of some point. We've talked about this on the show. It's like their their live shows are really well attended again and they're they're doing great business. Um they're getting tons of people coming out to see them. And uh skids are doing great too. So you know they gotta make a living. So for them to to say, well let's do a WKW tour, even even if the even if the logistics worked out great, you know, you certainly couldn't say that that would do as well, being pretty much an unknown band versus what they have going right now. So I think probably for the for the time moving forward, it, it's going to be something. It's definitely going to continue, and we're writing new songs already. Bruce has already sent me uh, some more demos, uh, like he did in the very beginning, uh, some demos, and said, you know, here's another one that I, I, you know, this one's just an instrumental, and I want you to see if you can do something with it. So um, we're definitely going to record more songs and hopefully release another album or EP or, or something. Um, and so that's going to continue and we're going to play when we, when we can play, but more than likely there's, you know, barring some sort of miraculous <laughs> publicity somewhere, um, there's not going to be any sort of WKW tour, uh, just because it, it wouldn't be a realistic thing to do, especially for Bruce and Jamie. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Bruce actually said this recently on Facebook as somebody was talking about the album and giving it really good praise. And we, we you know, we so appreciate that. And they asked the same thing. Like, are you going to tour this, Bruce? And and he said, well, this all this all started as just a recording project. And it seems to become something a little bit bigger. Um, but right now, no, we're not going to tour this. We're just going to, you know, we, we need to stay with big country and, and the logistics just don't work. So at the moment but i i did i did get a feel that he was thinking you know this blossomed into something that even he wasn't expecting so you know i don't know what what the future will hold for big country recorded material but i know bruce has really enjoyed doing this project because it's given him a chance to write new music and record new music and you know stepping not that he doesn't love you know, i'm not speaking for him but i'm you know big country right now is playing their hits and and songs that they played a lot so this has given him that opportunity to write some new stuff and to play some new stuff and i think he's really enjoyed that um so you know hopefully i would love it if that could like inspire help inspire a new big country album but for now it looks like um what we're doing is going to be sort of the source of of new big country related music so you know, hopefully well, everybody enjoys it. The fact you're writing more music, meaning hopefully you're going to be putting out uh, either an EP or an album down the road, is is great news because I was really impressed with how strong this album was from from top to bottom. The one song that I liked it because it reminded me of kind of the '70s punk thing was was the song Nationwide. Oh yeah. How did, where did that song come from? Who's who's like? Here's what we need to add to this album because it's it kind of kind of stands on its own musically. I think from some of the other stuff that's on the album, it definitely does. Well, I don't know if you know this, but that's a Stuart Adamson written song. Um, I did not know that. That was a Stuart Adamson song that he wrote and demoed for the Skids in 1977, and um, that was a song that. Well, I there's not a there's not a some things I can't say about this yet but are at the moment but 
I, a guy who's a friend of, of all of ours has this demo that the Skids did in 1977. And um, Nationwide was one of the songs on that demo. And it was a song that the Skids used to play a lot in their live set. It was like it was like one of the the um, probably one of the most popular songs in, when they first began before they released their first album. Uh, for some reason, it didn't make the cut. And once they released their first album and then kept going, they just it just became forgotten. But on this um, particular demo, this guy uh, shared it with us, and Bruce said, "You know, it would be really cool if we could do our own version of this song for the album." Um, and and say this is a Stuart, unheard Stewart song, and uh, so we did. And I tell you what, we had an incredibly hard time figuring out the lyrics for this song. Um, it was very helpful for us that there was an old fanzine that was written, and they wrote an article about the Skids, and they printed the, the lyrics to the song in the fanzine. And it was um, it, this came out like when the Skids were a brand new band, and they said, "Here's one of the one of their new songs nationwide, and it has these lyrics." And it was lyrics to maybe a third of the song. And the rest we had to try to figure out. And you know, Richard Jobson, if people listen to the skids, they know that he's kind of been known in the past as, as singing lyrics that are very difficult to understand what he's saying. And so we thought, okay, well that's okay. We'll just we'll just go to Richard Jobson and um we'll just go to Richard Jobson and ask him to tell us what the lyrics were. So we we gave him the demo and he listened to, he listened to the demo and his only response to hearing it was a big uh, F word. <laughs> Basically meaning he had no idea or memory of the, of what the lyrics were. <laughs> so we ended up sending this, the demo out to a couple people in Scotland and, th- and saying, can you figure out what's being said in this verse? And anyway, we eventually figured it out. I think we got him right, uh, Bruce especially. Uh, there may be a line or two that's not quite right, but it's pretty much right. Um, so anyway, that to make a long story a little less long, that that is a Stuart song. That is a Stuart Adamson song that he wrote in 1977, and it was one of the first Skids songs. So it's it's really weird that you know you people would hear a version of the song of an old song and they've never heard the old song before <laughs> because really hardly anyone's ever heard this. Um, the guy who owns the demo is trying to work out something where he can release it. Uh, so right now that hasn't happened, but um, it would be great if he could, because there are, uh, there are some really cool performances on there and uh, nationwide is one of them. So, I mean, we did, we did a fairly faithful version of the song. I mean, we, we added some modern, more modern stuff to it. And, um, and did some things like that. But uh, one of the cool things about it, too, is that Bill Simpson, the original bass player of the Skids, plays on that track on Men of Steel. Um, okay. Yeah, he plays the bass on it, and he's credited as Alex Blode, um, because that was his that was his punk name when the band started back in the in the 70s. Alex, at one word, and then P-L-O-D-E. So that's that's what he's credited as. So, so that song, Bill Simpson actually plays the bass on, and... Um, yeah, so that's why we put it on there because we, we, you're right, it doesn't necessarily fit musically in some ways with the rest of the album, um, which is a lot more, the rest of the album is a lot more layered and textured in a lot of ways. And this is just like a short burst of, you know, punk guitars and that kind of thing. But, um, that's why we did it because it was a, it was that Stewart song and we thought it would be, it would be cool to let people at least hear the song, even though it's not the original version of the song, at least at least let them hear it. And um, 
So the the people who who have realized that's a Stewart song have been really happy about that. Like to hear another song by Stuart Adamson was cool for them. So yeah, yeah, that, that's really cool. It puts it in more context. I instantly thought of Ramones. Yeah, yeah. So so putting it back into that era, of knowing it's an old Skid song, it's like okay, now I see why it's in there, and it and it's kind of that is very cool. Yeah. Was was there a lot of of stuff that Stuart wrote that has never had anything done with that Bruce might do something with at some point, or is that stuff kind of all locked up? Well, that's a good question. I, I think um, I I don't know a hundred percent for sure, but I I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of, of stuff that it, that exists has already been released. I don't think there's a ton of stuff out there that he's um, written or, or that the band ever recorded that has not been released on a rarities album or, or something. Um, there might be something, uh, there might be a couple things that still exist somewhere, but uh, I've never really probed too deeply with Bruce about it. Um, I just know that when we've asked him certain questions about B-sides and any anything that's been recorded in the past, that he's pretty much echoed that. You know, like pretty much there's nothing left in the vaults. It's all been it's all been released as far as he knows. So I don't think there's uh, there's too much to discover or to unearth. And so that was another reason that the the inclusion of Nationwide we thought would be good because even though we couldn't release the original version. Um, of the demo, we could at least do our own version of it and and do a pretty straightforward cover of it. Um, so that was kind of like releasing an old Stewart song. Uh, but um, you know, I, I'm sure there's stuff. I'm sure there probably somewhere there's a tape with things that he's that he did. I just I don't know where where it would be or who has it. Um, and I don't think the band at this point knows either. So we can only hope, I guess. Yeah, it's well, I. As much as I loved everything Stuart did and appreciate, you know, how what an impact he's had on so many of us who loved his music and I kinda of appreciate the, the current guys and you putting out newer new music and not kind of just trying to rehash off Stuart and saying, Look, we have our own creative juices flowing and here's what we're capable of and you really have much more of an appreciation for like Bruce in the band hearing the stuff that came out on this album for me, at least. Yeah. Cause before it seemed like the perception was, it was all about Stuart and you realize, well, these other guys were super talented, but they also really contributed to the process listening to what they're putting out. Without a doubt. Yeah, that's very true. And yeah, and like I was saying before, it's like just being able to work with Bruce on this, you really do see how instrumental he was um, to the big country sound and to a lot of those great songs. I mean, you know, he, he wrote, um, a big chunk of the song Wonderland, for example, and Angle Park, and um, so many others. So, yeah, like you, over the last you know decade or so, especially um, seeing what Bruce has been able to do with with the band and keeping them going, and then working on the new music, uh, I quickly realized that. And I always loved Bruce; I always loved what he did with the band. But I quickly realized now that man, you know, he really did a lot more than I ever gave him credit for, and is a lot. Um, He's incredibly talented. So, yeah, you're right. It's it's amazing the the wealth of talent that was in that band, um, that original group of four uh, guys. It's really incredible. Can I ask you, what's your, what's your favorite song on the album you guys put out? On the Men of Steel album? Oh, that's yes. That's a good. Question I know that's a too. tough question, but it- no, it's a it's a reasonable question too, and it's a it's a great question. I, 
you know, I I gotta say I'm really really proud of the album. I I listen to it for enjoyment myself, and sometimes when you make something, it's like. You know, sometimes you're just so sick of it after you make it that you don't want to hear it and for a while, and then maybe later you'll go back and listen to it. But I, I just really love listening to the album. I listen to it a lot, and I, I like you said, I feel like every song is is got something to offer. Um, for me, I think, man, I guess probably <laughs> my, I I know what it is. I think my favorite song is is Edison's Last Stand. Um, that's a song that was on. Bruce and Jamie's solo album, and uh, they released a couple years, well, almost ten years ago now, called "Another Anthem for the Damned." I don't know if you if you've ever heard that or got it. I have it. not. Okay, no. that's that's a great album. It, it's what's called, it called again? It's called an, "Another Anthem for the Damned." It, it's it's a great album. I think it, it's it's more of an acoustic album that Bruce and Jamie did together. Uh, there are some drums on it and, and some electric guitars, but. It's more acoustic, and there's some great songs on there, I think. And one of them was Edison's Last Stand, and I always loved that song. And um, it, was, it was my favorite song on that album, and I, I, I suggested to Bruce because um, with their heavy schedule, we wanted to do an album, as I said, but but writing songs you know, is kind of time-consuming. So he thought, well, we, we'll, write, we'll write some songs as we can, but what are some other songs we could do that are already out there? And uh, that that would be cool to put on here, and I suggested Edison's Last Stand. And let, let, let's do a like a real heavy version of that song. Uh, let me arrange it in like a heavy rock version of that song because I love that song. And he thought, okay, you know, go ahead and do, see what you come up with. So you know, on the album, that's on the another anthem for the damned. It's an acoustic song, um, and I I just had in my mind that this could be a really good like heavy hard edge song, and I sort of arranged it that way and sent them my ideas and they liked it and then we went ahead and finished it but so I th- I'd say that's my favorite song on the album um, as far as like new quote unquote new material um, we did do the the two big country esque songs Trouble Man and Kill a Cranky um, mainly because you know those songs had always been talked about as in fan circles we, we, and myself included we've often said like man I wish like a really great recording of Killer Cranky existed because lo- love the song but the only recording that exists is this audio from a TV performance that they did and it's not very good audio and um Trouble Man we we all love that song but it was like a kind of a quick recording and something that they never really developed so we decided to re- sort of do like a, a really as best we could a production on those two songs so I really am proud of how they, those came out too um. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess if you're if you're pushing me, I'd, I'd say Edison's Last Stand, but it's all very close. Actually, for Edison's Last Stand, I, I, that's the song that I enjoyed the guitar the most on. Oh, I that's put great. It in my notes. And for now, you played the acoustic on Killer Cranky. You said earlier, correct? I played. Um, I played acoustic. I played electric. Uh, and I played. Uh, yeah, I played acoustic and electric on that. So, um, it's all blends together. I put it down in my notes. I love the acoustic that runs through the song. Oh, that's great. So, yeah. So it's kind of, it's, it's kind of interesting hearing, you can talk to you and find some of the process because, you know, you, you listen to music and you kind of listen to it a couple of times and you're like, okay, I want to make some notes for the, the podcast. So when we talk about these songs and so it's been really interesting for me to learn how you guys went through the process and what you did and have more of an appreciation for it than even before. Oh, that's awesome. I appreciate that. goes into it. 
some of these songs, I mean, have upwards of a hundred separate tracks of instrumentation. I oh mean, wow! Yeah, it's just crazy, and it's it's not like a hundred tracks are playing all at the same time, of course, but like within each within the song, there are like a hundred different separate tracks that I have to keep in mind that. You know, when does this come in? When does this come in? When does this vocal come in? Because we we did like tons of guitar overdubs. We did lots of vocal overdubs. We did um, you know just lots of lots of lots of things that, that we threw in there. And um, it's a it's there's a lot going on in the album. So it was a lot of work, but it was it was the good kind of work. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. Just uh, it was exhausting as well. But again, the the good exhausting that you when it's done, you feel like okay. I, you know, did something cool here. So were you guys surprised at all about how the, the big country community just totally embraced you guys and your, how successful your crowdfunding was right away. Cause it seemed like everybody in the groups I'm part of for big country, especially on Facebook, instantly everybody was like a hundred percent on board with your guys' project. Even though we hadn't heard much music, everyone was just like excited to know that you guys were all working together. Were you guys surprised by how overwhelming the response was? Yeah, we really were. And, and, uh, you know, I'd said to Svine before we started the campaign, like, I'm really nervous about this. Like, I don't know, you know, what if we don't make our goal? And, you know, we were going to release the album anyway, on at least digitally, but we really wanted to put it out on CD. And so, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, honestly. I mean, I knew there were people that liked the EP, but I didn't know if they liked it enough or they wanted to basically pre-order a CD version or support it. And Bruce was totally in the dark about crowdfunding and, you know, he, we when we interviewed him on our show a couple years ago, we asked him like about crowdfunding for a future big country project. This was before WKW was even really discussed, and he was he very much was at, kept it at arm's length. He like didn't like the idea of taking money from people without without something to give them immediately. So he he just didn't feel good about that. I think to him it it felt almost like charity, like asking for money for something, and so. We tried to explain to him, well, you know, like a lot of artists do this nowadays, and it's really not charity. It's it's sort of like you're taking a pre-order for something that you're going to give them. Um, but you do have to, you know, you do have to be smart about it. You've got to follow through with it, and you can give people these special perks that they can't get anywhere else. And so he thought about it and was like, well, yeah, it's maybe maybe down the road. So I think the success of this project, you know, really opened his eyes about what you could do with crowdfunding too, because he was really getting into it. Yeah. You know, just like what he did with your answers. You know, he, he recorded your answers instead of writing them. And at one point he said, he said, this would have been a cool perk too. You know, people could ask us our questions and we could record our answers for them. And that would be something cool we could do if we ever do another one of these. And I was like, yeah, that would be cool. We could do that. Cause you're the only one that they, that they did that for. So oh, um, really? Wow. Yeah. Because yeah, you're the only one that they did that for at all. Uh, so, um, yeah, so that's a special thing for 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 what you what you got through this was cool. Yeah, well, so but he but he really liked the experience, and I think that could only be good for you know who knows maybe a future big country thing because one of the one of the things that was really good for this project WKW is that it didn't cost any money except for to record except for time because I recorded everything here at my home um, and I you know produced everything, so it's not like they were be they were being charged studio time or um, production time. I mean, we had to pay for things like the mastering of the album. And of course we paid for the, the manufacturing of the CD and, 
and other things that were expenses like website expenses and that kind of thing. And that's why we did the crowdfunding campaign to raise money for all that. But the actual just recording of the album um, in its purest form was just something we did, you know, in our in the time that we could contribute to it, and it didn't cost money. So I think f- for him to see, for Bruce to see that we could re- that we could produce an album of this quality like that without going to some big name producer and spending lots of studio time and char- paying for all that, which is a huge expense. Um, I think that opened his eyes to a lot of possibilities out there in this day and age for music. So, you know, who knows, maybe that'll mean something good for, for other projects that aren't WKW down the road. We'll, we'll see. <clears throat> but, well, I think the, the perks were awesome that you guys offered, but I think the more important thing for me was I know how much enjoyment his music has given me over the last, you know, what, 37, 38 years. And to be able to be part of something and support them in something to me meant something more than just the perks. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's kind of a special feeling for the person who's giving to know that you're part of giving something to somebody who's given you so much, even though they have no clue who you are. Mm. but if he knew the thousands and thousands of hours that we've listened to their music when i decided to take guitar lessons the guy's like what do you like to play i go i don't know how to play big country songs <laughs> he's like oh you like country music and i'm like no so i played <laughs> him a couple of songs right right and whenever i go to my lesson we, all we do is we work on big country songs because that's what that takes me to my happy place you know what i mean and so to be able to give something even without all the perks to me i would have done it because they've given me so much without knowing they have. My wife thinks I'm obsessed. And I said, look at some of the Facebook pages. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> but they are. That's who I listen to. I listen to, the, I listen to them probably virtually every single day for at least a little bit, whether wow. it's in the car or something. That's incredible. So, now, will you work on some solo stuff while they're doing stuff with Big Country? Because this has to have helped your, your overall profile, I would think, musically. Yeah. Being associated with this band. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would like to, without a doubt. I, I've got plenty of ideas of my own um, to, to put out there. And like I said, the last thing I released was not that long ago. It was in 2017. Um, and I've noticed that peop- more people are starting to download that now, which is, and and the other album that I'd done in 2015 called We Were Here. Um, and people are responding to that, which is great. So, so yeah, this helps me in that respect too. It's like, you know, people saying okay who's this guy you know maybe i should if i like this album men of steel i'll check this guy out too so that's that's great and yeah anyone associated with big country um you know seems to get a little more attention from that you know like i know simon huff the guy singing with them now has released some stuff and people become aware of him through big country so yeah it's great it's really it's it's very cool it certainly can do hopefully can do nothing to hurt me <laughs> Unless someone hates the album, but so I, I don't see how anybody could not like the album. Oh, that's good to hear. I mean, it's it's. I, I was you know when you listen to an album, you, you usually expect a couple of songs. You're kind of like, eh, it's okay, but you know, it's not like a. There was nothing there that I could see myself ever wanting to skip to the next one. Oh, that's great! It was unbelievably strong from top to bottom. In my notes, I was, I wasn't almost having a surprised but you don't anticipate an effort being solid from song one to song nine as, as this thing was, I can't wait to play it for some friends. Oh, that means all that means this. 
That means so much. I mean, really, I, it's because, yeah, I mean, because when you, I've just been, I've been waiting so long for the moment where I could just get it out there because it's just take, it's taken so long to record. So, because, I, you know, you make something, you want to get feedback from it. You don't want to just make it and then forget about it. So to have people tell you that is incredible. And, and I just put like a, on the WKW Facebook page, um, I, I had like a little poll, like what's your favorite song on this album? And what made me feel really great is that every single song was picked at least once. So wow. that, yeah, so that made me that made me think, oh, that's great. That's a, that's the greatest compliment you could give the album. It's like everyone has a different favorite song. I mean, uh, there's some songs that were mentioned a lot. I think I think the river stays the same was mentioned the most. I think on this particular poll, but um, but every every single song was chosen at least once. So I thought, well, that's a that's a great, you know testimony to the to the album's quality so that made me feel really really good so thank you i'll have to to join that page so i can i can weigh in on that as well because it's 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 one of those things where so it's there's so much stuff on social media that you just kind of roll your eyes with i know be able to escape to the big country pages and and like the wkw now it's it's kind of just a nice nice refresher of like okay there's Still pleasantness in this world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know, you know what, what you mean. I, mean. I sure do, one hundred percent. So, just to sum up, I want to I want you to go out with like a final thing here. Like, how how do you? And you've you've talked about this a lot on the show already. That when during our conversation about what big countries meant to you, but um, maybe like as a final closing word, talk a little, just a final closing thought about why you're still. Uh, a big country fan, you know, why you still listen? What, what, what does it still mean to you um, at this point in your life versus when you first discovered them? You know, why, why are they still such a force for you? Um, I think for me, one is I've had a really blessed life. And so if you listen to an album, let's say you're listening to like the seal town album is I can think back to what was going on in my life at that point and brings back good, positive memories. I don't have, uh, I don't have a lot of other things that bring you around like music does where music kind of just is timeless. And with them, when you listen, when I listen to big country, I can think of different events or things going on or people in my life. And it brings back just a bunch of real positive memories. And it's just, it's enjoyment. It's kind of like, you know, when it's like waking up and looking at your wife in the morning, you're just like, I'm so happy to be here. When I listen to a big country song is being played, it's like, I'm just happy to be listening to this. This takes me to kind of that, that happy place. And it's like, there's nowhere else I want to be. And like I said, I, I, I can equate it as like, it's like when you wake up and look at your wife in the morning and thinking, damn, I'm pretty lucky. Me getting to listen to big country. I think to myself, man, I'm so lucky. I, this band was around to create such great music that I've been able to enjoy for all these years. And I will to my dying day. I have no doubt. Ah, that's incredible. Uh, that's incredible commentary right there. Well, that's a perfect way to end it. So, yeah, Gene, thank you so much again for, for talking with me, for supporting the project, for supporting the album. And uh, it's been a privilege to have you on the show and um, very interesting conversation. And I, I hope that you I hope that you enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I really enjoyed this. I can't wait to listen to the podcast. And I wish you nothing but success in all your future projects. Hey, you too. Thank you so much for doing it and uh, really appreciate it.
All right, so that was Gene. Thank you so much, Gene. Really appreciated that. Appreciated all the conversation, and uh, and I know Svein especially appreciated all the questions you asked about me and WKW that Svein was ready to jump in on. <laughs> I jumped out of that. <laughs> <laughs> you did. <laughs> I happened to enjoy it thoroughly, so thank you, Gene. Really appreciate it. That was that great. was good. It was really good. I had nothing to add, but uh, you know. Why do I need to add something when you go straight to the source? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And thank you, Bruce, too, for adding um, to, the, to the show with your answers to his questions. Always, always great to hear that. Um, so let's jump right in then to John, John Lewis. And as Fine mentioned earlier, a little bit different conversation here. This is a guy who's uh, you know been part of the online community for years. And speaking for myself, and I know for Fine as well, it was really cool to be able to talk with him after all these years of seeing his name. And uh, yeah, we, we we kind of had a free-form discussion with John. It was really good to speak with him after all these years. He's one of those names that's always been there. And uh, it's not like I don't know what he sounds like, because like I mentioned and thanked him for, he's been a very frequent contributor of SpeakPipes and really engaged with the podcast. So uh, it was good to speak with him live. Definitely. So let's let's get right to it. Here's John Lewis. All right, everyone, here we are, episode 89, another WKW Pledgers episode, and we've got with us today another great guest, a guy that Svein and I have known for years and years, at least as a name and as an avatar and what have you, but it's a thrill for us to be able to actually talk with him today. So, John Lewis, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Yeah, and, and right out of the gate, yeah, thank you so much for your... For my purposes, thank you so much for supporting WKW and and being one of those pledgers. We really appreciate it, and it's great to have you on. Oh yeah, absolutely. No, it was great. I um, I had I had to give you something to you guys. I mean, you, you did a uh, Edison's Last Stand or whatever it's called. Uh, I yes. love that song. Oh, excellent, excellent, <laughs> fantastic. That's good to hear. And with us, as always, of course, is the illustrious Svein Hjorthog. Hello, Svein. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And uh, just to add to what uh, Tom said, I want to also thank John in particular for all the speak pipes you have sent us since the very beginning. You've always been one of our main speak pipe contributors and oh, yeah. adding a lot to our Facebook group as well. So I'm, I'm particularly glad to speak to you uh, now in person. So, yeah, welcome from me as well. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, awesome. So, so John, we've all got our similar and yet different big country stories as to how we became interested in the band to begin with. So, mm-hmm. what's your story? How did you become interested in the band? When did you first hear them? You know, what what was it about them that really resonated with you? Oh, I think uh, my story is actually going to be a little bit similar to yours. I think, Tom. Um, I. I first heard in a big country on the radio, it, it might have been on like one of the top 40 countdown shows, something like that, and uh, immediately loved the song, and then, uh, but didn't really get into the band. Um, I was at Tower Records with my, my mom and a friend, and I wanted to buy an album, and the choice was Men Without Hats or The Crossing. And so I, I was I was begging my mom to buy both of them, 
And I ended up picking Men Without Hats. Which, oh, no. You know, was, I know, really. You know, Because <laughs> I was looking at the back and I thought, you know, the, these songs, they just sound weird. Inwards, close action, I, I, I don't understand. So I went with Men Without Hats and, and listened to, to stuff like that for a while. And I was, I was into a lot of different music. Um, I was also getting into Rush at the time and, and uh, Def Leppard and, and some other, other groups as time wore on. And then um, missed the steel, missed Steeltown entirely. And then the Seer came out, and I bought it cold. I just said, you know what? I loved that song. I had seen the Fields of Fire video incessantly on Friday night videos, and loved that song too. So I'm going to buy this and just see what it's like. Well, you know, within a week, I had all three albums in the Wonderland EP and I was starting to buy 12 inch singles and it, it, it just kind of blossomed from there. Um, and so what this year was out in like May of, of 86 and by August of 86, uh, I was going to see them in San Francisco. So that was, that was a pretty fast ramp up for, for a fan. It was like, I was making up for lost time. Wow. So you saw them on the Seer tour. I did. Yeah, at, at the Warfield in San Francisco, that was a, a pretty phenomenal show. Oh, I can imagine. Can can you talk a little bit about what that was like? And I know we uh, and we want to talk to you about the most recent shows that you saw in San in San Francisco as well in Sacramento. But that Seer tour, I mean, I'm very envious because that was the first time I saw the band live, not in person, but on video cassette. Uh, when I got right. the Seer thing, that was the first time I ever really saw them perform. So, what was it like to actually be there in in the height of their you know, their popularity in a sense. Oh, it was pretty incredible. I think it was a sold out or near sold out show. Um, very, very crowded, very hot, very loud. Um, it, it was only the, the second concert I'd been to, I think at that point. And um, the, it, they were, they were really good. They were on top form. Um, I mean, I, I have the, the bootleg recording of that show and, and listening to it again recently was, was kind of was kind of blown away by just how good they are, um, but it, it was a it was a good show to go to. Um, I don't remember a lot of the details anymore. I know that uh, there was a lot of, of banter. Um, uh, Stuart made some jokes about uh, you know, and if you're on drugs, leave, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, did did he the, uh, did he break up any fights at that show? Not at that show, no. Okay. Um, I think there were there were a few almost fights in various places, but uh, but yeah, I, I was pretty close to the stage too. I think it was nine rows back, uh, which which was still pretty close. And on uh, on Bruce's side, and yeah, and it, it was it was also very very loud. I remember that. I, but um, but that's all right. It, uh, yeah, and then the the stage setup that they had with the the kind of castle graphics in the back and the lighting, the very kind of mood lighting type stuff was really good. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah, yeah. Just looking then, at images of that, I, I thought that was you know they're probably their best stage set. Not that not that they are a band known for elaborate stage sets, but that was probably the uh, the pinnacle of what they did. Yeah, yeah. I think the. Uh, one of the things that I remember from that show was the uh, during Lost Patrol, the, the crowd was singing E A I E A I A O, and then they go off stage, and the crowd just keeps singing and just keeps singing, and then they come back and pick up the song again, and it, it felt like they were gone for several minutes, just 
making us sing, which I thought was kind of funny. That's excellent. You know, you know, they did the same thing um, when I saw them on the Buffalo Skinners tour. So that's interesting to me that they did that as far back as the Seer tour because they oh, yeah. they ended Lost Patrol. The crowd was singing just as you describe, and then they came back and finished it. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. So uh, yeah, oh, that's, that's that's really great. good. And uh, wouldn't it be bad if one time this gimmick backfired? Nobody sang, and the band said, "Well, how are we going to come back out now?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, they, that could have happened in Lincoln. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh man, well, that's that's interesting. That's a very interesting uh, tale of of how you got into the band. Um, I think you're the second person we've talked to. Uh, the seer was their their doorway to the band, really. So that's that's very interesting. But wasn't that wasn't that a great time though uh, to be discovering new music? I mean, if I can sound like a nostalgic old man here for a minute, because you, are, is that what we are? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Okay, perhaps <laughs> you know, I can certainly I can certainly see it. But when when you mentioned you know like right after you got the seer within a few days or weeks you had the first two albums and you were buying you had the ep and you were buying 12 inch singles it just really took me back to how great of a time that was when when you were discovering those things and those oh this is a new mix and this is a new b-side and was there anything oh. that really stood out for you back then as far as like uh i don't know any moment where you where you discovered a new big country song like what, what was it like to go backwards and discover those first two albums um did any did either of those first two really jump out as becoming your new favorite or well um yeah I, the close action has been my favorite big country song ever since then mm. um so the crossing really really has a a place in my heart for that reason um and you know, Steel Town is just phenomenal from from start to finish. Uh, so it, it it was pretty amazing to go back uh, and, and amass all of that music so quickly. Um, I remember the first time I heard All of Us, and I, I it just this is a B side. <laughs> How did this happen? I, I love this song. Yeah. Um, and and I had that reaction a lot. Winter Sky. Um, it. Just the crossing itself. That's such an amazing song. Um, I probably listened to to that after I got the Wonderland EP, just over and over and over. Probably dozens of times more than I listened to the other three songs. Mm. Incredible. I know. I'm right with you. Well, yeah, but I, I miss flat filing through record stores. I don't have a vinyl player anymore, and I don't really, I don't really buy vinyl. And that that feeling of just kind of filing through and finding something new is pretty amazing don't really get that anymore i know you're exactly right it's it was an amazing feeling I'm, I'm sorry for the younger people who don't have that um these days but uh again nostalgic old man talk so yeah, <laughs> yeah why, why don't you have a vinyl player i you know i, I got rid of most of my vinyl uh hmm? you know yeah. i have to move away stacks of vinyl to to clear the, the coke spill here yeah exactly <laughs> i'm surrounded <laughs> both sides of my laptop it's just stacks of vinyl that i have to organize oh my goodness you haven't organized them yet well this is the new stuff the last two weeks oh my gosh ah. and you almost spilled coke on them well i managed to direct it in the direction of the laptop at the last minute <laughs> that's that's uh that's the most expendable okay that's good yeah that's true that's good yeah no I, I still have all my big country vinyl but that's that's just about it at this point wow 
Well, it's never too late to to, um, to start. Uh, I don't know if uh, you saw, John, a picture I posted on the Great Divide Facebook group of my brother buying the crossing on vinyl just oh, yeah. uh, last week, his first big country vinyl. <laughs> I just said, I got to take a picture of this. But I didn't want to stand there like a goof with the thing. But I, I took a picture, and he's uh, 12 years younger than me. So uh, oh, oh. mid-30s, and just started buying vinyl. All his years, he streamed. He never owned, really, he had some CDs as a very, very young person, but he always streamed. And the last year, he started buying vinyl. And that's wow. just uh, heartwarming to see. So if he can do it, you can. Yeah, I just have to go out and get the vinyl player and do something like that. I don't know. I'm, w- I'm more with you, John. I, I, I've, got a, I've got a player that I, that I bought not too, well, a few years ago to play some old um records that uh i i still had from my youth and i i haven't really expanded my vinyl collection since then so i'm kind of the same way but uh i know that's the thing right now so yeah well and i I listen to music mostly in the car these days and or at work and you know it's kind of hard to put a record player at work (laughs) very true very true well well let's jump let's jump uh i know this is a huge jump uh but let, since we're talking about the early days of Big Country and your first show that you saw with the original band, let's jump to the present day. And uh, you, you just saw them. Uh, there are a couple of their shows that they did on the West Coast. Um, they have been playing here in America for the first time since the Journey Tour. They're sort of sporadic shows, and it, it blows my mind how these guys work, but they actually came all the way over to the West Coast from Scotland, played a couple of shows there flew back to the UK, flew back to Scotland, and now they're about ready to fly back to America for some shows in New York and Florida. So tell us about these uh, these West Coast shows that you saw. And, and, you know, was this the first time that you seen have seen the band since the Seer tour? Or did you see them in between? Or, you know, what was it like to see this new incarnation? So I, I did see, I saw three shows on the Journey Tour, um, which was terrific. Uh, but... This this show was really good. It was um, a little bit shorter than I expected, but you know we're all getting old. Uh, but it was at a place called the Chapel in in the Mission District in San Francisco, and I had never been to this venue, and I don't think it's that old. But it's about a two hundred person venue. It looks like a it was a converted old church, um, just a floor and then a mezzanine with a bar, and. Um, a really, really great place for music. The The sound was terrific. Um, I wasn't feeling too hot, so I was hanging out at the bar at the mezzanine. And even from there, I had a great view, great sound, could kind of look out over the crowd, saw, saw Dwayne and his his uh, little bear, um, which that, that was a pretty funny part of the show, too. Um, but uh, met a few people, uh, met met John um, and uh, it, it, the show opened with a thousand stars and it just kind of ramped up from there. Uh, they had a disco ball. So every time uh, Simon sang luck of a thousand stars, the disco ball would turn and they just kind of sparkle lights all over. So that was kind of a cool effect. Um, and then uh the uh, the highlight, I think, for me, well, I mean, it was all great, but they they played Restless Natives for the encore, and I, I'd heard it live on recordings, but it was so great to hear it 
actually there to be there in the moment. Um, I was with my my friend Mike, who I'd seen them with originally in San Francisco, and uh, so it was like thirty four years, and we were back seeing them in San Francisco again. Um, and he had asked what they would do for an encore, and I was thinking, well, it'll either be inwards or maybe Restless Natives, and. So then they started Restless Natives, and Mike was like, you realize that everybody who's seen the movie is here tonight? Said, yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, Not but, true. Uh, I was, was not great. there. Yeah, well, that's true. Like, everybody in San Francisco, in the area, <laughs> was there. But, uh, but it, it was a lot of fun. There was um, – I, I, I don't know – why Bruce does this, but he, he says before Wonderland, he goes into this whole thing about, are you ready to get funky? <laughs> Maybe not the song I would think of as funk, but, you know, okay. Uh, uh, it might, it might it have something to do with that. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just going to say it. It might have something to do with that uh, part that he plays, which is not funk, but it's a little bit, you know. That's true, yeah. If you slow it down, maybe it is funk. <laughs> yeah, that's big country funk, Scottish funk. That's, and Swan, yeah. you, you say you say Swan, he didn't say that in Liverpool. Yeah, I didn't say that in Liverpool. So I think that must have been a special edition for the people West Coast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but the band was obviously having a great time. Um, I, it it was amazing to to see them just kind of hopping around, and you know, Mark and Simon are all business, and they're they're very into what they're doing, and and. Simon is very focused on on his singing and but Bruce and Jamie are all over the stage and and Scott's jumping around and it, it everybody's got a smile on their face they're all having a good time hmm. um my friend commented that uh Jamie was going wild he was obviously having a great time um even though their car had gotten broken into that early, that day a little bit earlier <laughs> yeah i heard about that yeah that's uh, terrible Welcome to San Francisco. It's a thing there. <laughs> I saw some video they posted of that. So the entire car window had been totally smashed and and anything grabbed that was within grabbing distance, I I guess. And Jamie yeah. was the one who had his bags there. Uh, so that's pretty shitty. Yeah, really. Yeah. Uh, well, well, so but, so you were talking a little bit about Simon and Mark. Tell us a little bit about your perspective of the new guys, because I know Spine has seen yeah. them. I, I have not seen that lineup yet. Um, planning to see them in New York in a couple weeks. But um, mm-hmm. what, what are your thoughts on on Simon as a vocalist for the band, and then Scott Whitley as a, the new bassist? Even though he's been there for a while, not both of yeah. them they're not new, but you know what I mean. Yeah. No, I I, I really. Simon's voice is eerily like Stuart sometimes. Yeah. Um, it, it, it is different. It's obviously different, but there are times when he's singing and, and the part just fits. Um, I can't think offhand of what song I'm thinking of. Um, but for a lot of them, they're, they're just moments when it's like, wow, this, this guy is the perfect match for this. Um, I mean, I, I loved Mike's vocals. I, I was glad he he did what he did to get them going on the journey, but um, but Simon works and he works well too. That's that's great. Uh, do, do I'm you, a fan. Do you, do you miss? I mean, I'm, these are just personal opinion questions, so you know, obviously, mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong here. I'm just curious. Um, you know, Mike was so and has always been such a rousing type of performer. You know, running out into the crowd and right. you know, constantly talking and 
and just trying to really inspire everyone. Whereas Simon, at least from my perspective, it seems much more reserved, sort of more in the mold that Stuart was in, in that, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more reserved, singing the songs, occasionally doing something. Um, do you, having seen both of those tours, do you, do you miss any aspect of Mike's performance? Do you think that's something that is needed in the band or do you prefer it the way that they're doing it now? I think I like the way that they're doing it now. Um, I mean, Mike is Mike and he'll, he'll always be that way. I've, I've seen the alarm a couple of times uh, since the journey tour and he does still does the same thing. Does the, you know, spit in the water at the crowd, throwing out the cards, getting out into the crowd and saying hi to everybody. Um, that's just who he is. But I think that, uh, I think what Simon is doing in a way is showing respect to Stuart and to the original members of the band. Uh, Bruce is really the one who does the front man stuff. And so like, he's the one talking about getting funky and he's the one doing the banter and uh, he's the one taking the bear from Dwayne and bringing it up on the stage and doing the voices. And it was a lot of fun there. Um, but I, I think it's respectful to the music. I think it's respectful to Stuart and I think it's, um, it works well. I mean, we're all there to hear the music. We we don't need to hear the banter. Uh, it, it's fun when it happens. Uh, but um, I know some when I see the alarm, sometimes I kind of wish Mike would just shut up and sing. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I think it's it, it's good, and it um, it is nice that that Bruce is doing a more frontman kind of thing. Uh, Simon has his moments. Um, he definitely. Like during chants, he he gets the crowd going on the on the the singing and um, kind of encourages the crowd to to do stuff. Um, but it, uh, it, I liked it. Yeah, no, that's great. And you, you know what struck me about Simon and has struck me about him is that, um, and this is interesting to me, is that I've never heard him do a sha or a cha, and. Uh, Maybe he has done, but I've never heard it. And um, I'm wondering if that gets back to your whole, you know, respect for Stuart thing, where he feels like this isn't really what I do, so I'm not going to force it. And 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 there are times where, it, you know, like in a big country or any of those songs where you're just ex- you're just expecting to hear it. I'm expecting the the Shah, but it never comes. And I, I, I yeah. always thought that was kind of an interesting approach. I hadn't I hadn't noticed that. I and maybe. I feel like he does it, but maybe not right into the mic. Okay, okay. Um, but uh, but yeah. It, although, frankly, you know, the crowd probably does it. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I know I do. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. It's fine. It's fine. Um, did he do it when you saw them? Did he do many shahs or chas? Nope. Okay, he yeah. did not. No, he, he has a totally different vibe. He never gets into that exuberance that sometimes in a song like in a big country. Stuart and the whole band would just jump around and really get into it. And Simon really holds to that sort of intensity that fits some songs. Like uh, when I saw him, they played a lot of Steel Town songs, like like Steel Town and like others that are more intense and demand that type of delivery. That's where I feel that really fits. And then he seems more reserved on the old Barnstormers again. Mm. So, yeah. They um they did East of Eden too, which was nice to hear live. And, and I think Simon really works on that one. Mm, yeah. That's great. I agree. I've seen video of him doing that, and, and I, I agree that voice really fits. So so what about Scott Whitley? I, I know you mentioned him jumping around, and he's always struck yeah. me as just like a really fun, fun-loving guy, and he's an amazing bassist as well. So what are your yeah. thoughts on him? 
Um, I, I actually I had a pretty good view of him from where I was, and I, I was watching him, and he's he was obviously having a good time. Um, he's he's a different bassist from Tony in some respects. Um, there's there's just some things that he does that that seem a little bit different, but I I, I like what he does, and I, I his contribution to the band is is phenomenal. Um, I mean, I'm I'm not. I'm not much of a musician, but uh, I, I think that uh, you know his playing is terrific, and the the whole band was really tight. So there wasn't there wasn't a lot of mistakes. There weren't a lot of you know sound problems or anything like that, uh, which I'm used to seeing at most shows. Yeah. Um, but uh, but Scott, I think uh, I don't remember him dancing around a whole lot, but he was definitely moving around. Um, you know, more than Derek did. Derek just kind of pogos. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, uh, it he he fits the band, and his exuberance is right in line with everybody else. Yeah, and I think he, uh, you know, he he feels. I'm sure he feels like he's a part of the band, and he should. Oh, that's great. So, so that was the first show that you saw. So, tell us a little bit mm-hmm. about this, the second one, where Big Country was not the headliner. They're part of a they group were not of the bands. Yeah. They, were, they were the number two slot. Okay. Um, so, I, I saw them in, in Lincoln, which is a suburb of Sacramento, at a, at a uh, native casino um, in, in a uh, multi-purpose room that they had put chairs out for. Uh, <laughs> It wasn't the best venue, but it wasn't bad. Although one of the things I forgot about native casinos is that uh, in California, which calls itself uh, America's non-smoking section, native casinos don't have to follow that rule. Really? Wow. So the the place was smoky um, and loud, but, uh, but the, it didn't make it inside the, the rec room quite as much, but um so Big Country was second. China Crisis went first, and then Wang Chung was after them. <laughs> uh, I suffered through China Crisis. I didn't stay for Wang Chung, but um, it was a short set too. It was thirty minutes, I think, uh, roughly. Wow. Um, each band had their cadre of fans there, and I'm pretty convinced that Big Country had the most fans there, at least by the number of Big Country related T-shirts I saw. Oh, that's good. And the fact that. Um, there was a pretty strong contingent of people dancing during the songs, um, but it was a sit-down concert. Most of us were sitting down. Um, I was, still wasn't feeling well, so I was kind of glad not to get up, but it, it was hard not to. Um, the band was still in fine form um, during during chants, trying to get the crowd to sing along. I'm pretty sure I annoyed the woman sitting next to me because I was singing at the top of my lungs. <laughs> um, I always do during that song, uh, but um, but it, it was it was a little bit more subdued. But the band was still jumping around doing their thing. Um, the, let's see, I did record the playlist. They did Thousand Stars, Harvest Home, Look Away, Chance. In a big country wonderland, and then they close with Fields of Fire. Oh yeah, the hits. Yeah, so they they hit all the all the top spots. Um, the show was sponsored by a local radio station, and so they were plugging the station. And I think I think that may be how the whole thing penciled out was because they were brought out for this kind of combo thing with the other bands, and then they went and did the LA show as well. Um. So it, it made it possible for them to come out. I don't know if the San Francisco show was an add-on or was always planned, but uh, I'm glad they did it. 
Yeah, seriously. That's fantastic. Well, excellent. That's that's great. And you know, I saw Wang Chung in nineteen eighty four open for the oh. car open for the cars. So uh oh, wow. I, I can tell you that you didn't miss much of anything. Yeah. But you did the cars you, have been fun. Yeah, oh yeah, they were they were they were good too, but they were like statues on the stage. I will they you know, they sounded great, but they never yeah. moved. <laughs> so Yeah. But the only thing you missed was the ability to Wang Chung that night. Oh, damn. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. But I, it was nice to meet some people, too. I met, uh, I met Worth, and I met um, David Brown and his wife, Molly. I was there with my wife, Molly. So that, that was a lot of fun to, to be able to, to talk to some folks. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I've, I've known Facebook. <laughs> well, that's kind of a good segue into, into another question. Um, you know, I, it seems it seems to me, and probably just maybe just fine too. I don't know, put words in his mouth here, but it seems to me that the the big country community has has not stagnated and not really diminished over the years, but that it's it's actually grown. Um, obviously, the online presence has has helped that along, but there are other bands who have that, and and this doesn't happen. I mean, we've seen a resurgence in their in their live uh, attendance, and mm-hmm. they seem to be doing really well there. And you know, as somebody who's been a part of the online community since it began, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on, I guess the, the big country community as it stands and, and getting to meet some of these people, because that, that's something that I'm looking forward to do when I um, am in Scotland in a, in a couple months and um, you know, maybe even here in New York probably as well. So, you know, how do you, how do you feel the big country community has evolved over the years? I guess is, is the question that I'm asking. Well, I think, you know, the, the internet and social media has been really good for the big country community because I think all of us felt isolated for a long time. Mm. It's like, oh, I'm the only big country fan. I'm the only one buying these records here in Sacramento. But eh, it's not true. There was there was a fair cadre of fans there. And I'm sure most of those people have been fans at least since the original three albums. Um the and I I know that Big Country's played in Sacramento one other time um, during the Buffalo Skinners tour, uh, but uh, and I think that was uh, kind of a, a one-off shot, and I I didn't get to see them on that tour, um, but I think that I think a lot of us have gotten old enough now where we have kids that we're introducing to the band. Um, some of us have kids who are old enough to have developed their own musical tastes and. Um, and yet still appreciate big country for what it is. Uh, My son loves them, uh, Hmm. which I think is terrific. He's 13. And uh, I have an old video of him when I was playing uh, the extended mix of in a big country and he shot at the right parts. (laughs) So that was, that's great. But I I think that the, the online community has really helped us, become a community of fans um we don't have to feel as isolated we it it, you know you feel like you're the biggest fan around and then you realize that there's a tom and a spine out there (laughs) (laughs) um so it, it it's great and i you know i at one point i thought i was quite the collector and but i i've got nothing on someone like andy oh my gosh yeah um who, who I, I have to admit, it, it was great. I, I did get to meet Andy on the Journey Tour. And um, the story I tell people is that he's this really big Australian guy. And during In a Big Country, he throws his arm around me and starts pogoing. 
And, you know, I've, I've got these at the time, what, 43-year-old knees. I, I just can't do that for four and a half minutes. <laughs> but I did. <laughs> nice. Excellent. So, but it, it was great. I mean, he's a great guy. And I have, I have yet to meet a fan that I don't click with. Mm. So, I think that 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 says something too that we've we all come from these different backgrounds you know i'm 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 like spine i've got this kind of prog thing going on in the back of my head too and (laughs) and a little bit of the heavy metal thing and and i i i think it's it's great to meet people who've gotten into the band through other avenues as well um yeah, and I I do remember the email list, and I, I think I I feel like I joined it right before Why the Long Face came out. Um, That's probably about so when I joined I, it too. Yeah, there yeah. was a throng of people joining it just about then. I, I remember I was one of the twenty who discussed the Buffalo Skinners. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> and, and and that felt like huge because wow, there's twenty other big country fans out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I knew not. I knew nobody. So yeah. not that that was the only ones, but that that I could talk to and uh, engage with, and that was just great. But the list really grew, and um, I feel. Uh, you know, I feel the same about that community as I do now. It's just that now it's more accessible to everybody through all these uh, social media platforms. But I really feel the same. Uh, don't you think so too? Yeah, I think I think it's. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's been great. It, it just to to have all these people coming together, and definitely social media has made it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- and, and then there's inevitable arguments over you know. What songs are great? What songs aren't great? Stuart, no Stuart. Simon, no <laughs> Simon. You know, it's like ah, oh, I just want to hear the music. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the Buffalo Skinners thing that that reminded me um, the way I learned about Buffalo Skinners. Uh, I woke up one morning. I was living in Portland, Oregon, and it was what 1993, and uh, I was working in Salem, Oregon, so I was part of a carpool, and I woke up because we had just had an earthquake and my first thought was oh great mount st helens is blowing its top again but no it was just an earthquake <laughs> but so I'm, I'm i'm up early i'm puttering around and my phone rings and i'm assuming that it's going to be my boss saying that he's going to be late for the carpool and it's my friend mike calling me from ireland and he said dude there's a new big country album out it's called buffalo skinners <laughs> like, what <laughs> so i like that day i get get back from from work and i'm i'm rushing out to the ozone which was this great little um indie record store in portland at the time and i'm filing through and there it is so i buy it and i've I've got the import version i probably paid way too much for it but it was worth it (laughs) oh my gosh without a doubt oh that's fantastic And, and it was far from guaranteed that they would have it right yeah, exactly. No, and I think that was the first time I'd even been to that store. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow, wow. So yeah, I, I I wasn't really into buying music for a while. It was right after college, and I was you know broke. So that was it was great. So, no, yeah. I I, um, I I loved that album. I me too. I remember being pretty disappointed by uh, No Place Like Home, and so when Big Buffalo Skinners came out, I was I was ecstatic. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. And you know, it's it's interesting because 
you know, I know Svine loves No Place Like Home, and I've grown to really love love most of it over the years. And it's, but it's funny when you when you take yourself back to that moment when it first came out, and you're you're wanting something so that's so different from what you, you received. At least I was, you know, I I, yeah. I I enjoyed Peace in Our Time. I liked a lot of that, but I wasn't comfortable with the way they were going. And then I was so hoping they returned to their to form with No Place Like Home, and, and yeah. hearing Republican Party Reptile was was just soul crushing at the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, because it starts with Kansas and that is a terrific big country song. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm, I'm listening to Kansas like, Oh wow. Wow. Yeah, and then the Republican party away. reptile starts like, what? <laughs> well, see, <laughs> Not I, the best one on that uh, album. Exactly. <laughs> I, I heard Republican party reptile first because I went out and got at the same place where I got the, uh, the Buffalo Skinners album later. I got, um, I, I got the uh, CD single for Republican Party Reptile. So that was the first thing I heard. But then, uh, kind of yeah. differently for me, then I heard Kiss the Girls Goodbye and Freedom Song, and I thought, okay, well, there's plenty of hope. I just don't yeah. love this song. But uh, anyway. yeah, For me, No Place Like Home was actually a step up, because I was so disappointed with Peace in Our Time. Uh, oh, yeah. that, that still is my nadir of, of, of big country catalog. So it was a huge step up for me, No Place Like Home. And then they continued taking a step up with the Buffalo Skinners. So I thought, you know, great trajectory. One blip, totally mm-hmm. forgotten, and, and they are definitely moving the right track. And, you know, if they keep this up, they're going to be better than ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, John. Yeah. So, like, what what are uh, you, you know? I hate to ask the the cliche questions about favorite albums and all that kind of thing, but what's been what's been your I guess moment where you were most disappointed in what you heard, and the moment where you were most excited with what you heard, if if, if that makes sense. Um, well, I mean, uh, other than discovering them at the very beginning, buying the Seer and listening to it like eight times straight through. Um, <laughs> which which was a pretty exciting moment because that that album is just so incredible. Um, this the sailor, I actually sang the sailor to my son as a lullaby uh, for a oh, long time. Beautiful. Um, the first half, I, I would try to sing the second half, but it's not as lullaby. <laughs> <laughs> I'll run um, right out of the city tonight. <laughs> then he wakes up. Doesn't quite work. Um, but. Uh, I think so. In, in terms of most disappointed, I, I think that moment when I first heard Republican Party Reptile was was pretty much a downer. Uh, I, I do agree that Peace in Our Time was not not what it could have been. But I think when I heard that, uh, I I felt like the songs were big country songs. They just weren't in the big country way. Um, I mean, Thirteen Valleys is an incredible song, and. Um, I didn't like King of Emotion, uh, but um, but the rest of the album is okay. I don't listen to it very much anymore, um, or No Place Like Home, for that matter. Um, but then I really liked Why the Long Face, and I really like Driving to Damascus. And I they're very different albums, um, but I th- there was something about both of them that for whatever reason, at the time that they came out, they really resonated with me. Um, Why the Long Face? I think I, I was just needing something different to listen to, and it, it came out at the right time. And then um, Driving to Damascus, I think I was just desperate for more big country. And that delivered, because in addition to Driving to Damascus, there's all the B-sides, and, and then 
all the stuff coming out on the internet. Yeah, never more B-sides. Yeah. And then the, you know, and the website stuff later, and it was great. <laughs> I became a collector again for a while. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and as Svein just said, you know, never more B-sides from that period, and then from that yeah. period, and it was just so amazing. I mean, you almost had you know, two new, two full length albums worth, if not more of material yeah. at that time. So, so, wow. So what did, what did you think of the Raphael's? Did that fit in anywhere with your, with your fandom? Is uh, that, you yeah, know, I mean, I, I got the album, um, and I, I, I did like it. Um, it, it is different, but, um, yeah, there's, there's some good stuff on there. Blue Rose is a song that I've, I've really resonated with for a long time. And I think that's one of the ones that Marcus sings, um, but um, but it, it was it was a good album. Um, I don't have a lot to to say about it, but uh, it's like and Tony's new album was good too. So excellent, excellent. Well, then th- let me ask you this qu- last question then, um, because as you know, if you listen to the show, you probably know that you know that some of the guys listen to the show. Bruce listens to it, um, so. If you had a message to give to them, like you know, speaking to them personally, what what would you say to them? Um, you know, feel free to say whatever is on your mind or or not. But you know, they they're probably going to be listening to this. So what what would you say to those guys? <laughs> Other than stay alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, please. Uh, no. Jeez, uh, thank you. I mean, it, it's, it's been it's been so good to have the band back. Um, I, the hearing, hearing those songs again, uh, I, I teared up during chance on the journey tour because it was just so great to be in the room with the song being played. Um, and yeah, I just keep, I, I hope they keep on keeping on. And at the end of the, the San Francisco show, Mark said that there's some unfinished business here in, in America and we, we want to come back. And I hope they will. Cause if they do, they're going to get a lot of my money. So, um, I, I will probably fly to shows if I can to see them. Um, I certainly during the journey tour, I drove all the way down to LA and saw a couple shows down there and I would do it again. And we'll do it again, at least until until I can't anymore. <laughs> They've got this phenomenal group of work, and it and it they need it needs to be out there in the world. And if if they can make some money off of it and keep doing it and have fun doing it, and Bruce is obviously having fun doing it, um, yeah, keep on keeping on. I mean, that's that's great. That's awesome. Well, John, thank you so much, man. Great talking with you. Hope you have a great rest of your weekend. Thank yeah. you, guys. And thank you so much for listening. Yes, no, definitely. Yeah, bye-bye. All right, take care. Bye-bye. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 89 of the Great Divide podcast as we inch ever closer to the mighty 100th episode. What will happen in the 100th episode? We don't even know, but something has to happen in the 100th episode if we make it there. When we speak to you next, we will be in the 90s officially. That's the end of the 80s. Now we get into the 90s, the No Place Like Home era, the Driving to Damascus era, the Wide Along Face era. Well, we've already talked about all those, but... uh, 
I'm trying to, you see what I'm doing here. But anyway, the 90s should be interesting. Hopefully just as interesting as they were for Big Country. We shall see. Yes. I look forward to it. There's still a little bit more fuel left in this tank. We'll see how much, but uh, there's at least a little bit more fuel. So we will talk to you guys soon. As always, if you want to get in touch with us, bigcountrypodcast at gmail.com. Go to our Facebook page. Join up the Great Divide podcast and, uh, you know, some good conversations happening there. Thanks to all of you guys, and we will talk to you soon. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Um, yeah, go ahead. Oh, was, was no, that you, Swine, no. or was that? Uh, I'm sorry. I I thought somebody was getting ready to speak. Oh. Okay. Well, no. let's. Well, I can. Yeah. Go, <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead if you. Yeah. If you have something, go ahead. Well, I have to make up something. You know, in fact, I lost most of John's background thing because I had a major coke spill on my laptop. So I just muted and cleaned that up. So can you repeat everything, please? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. <laughs> yeah, um, you spilled the coke because I, I said men without hats. So, you know. I'm going to blame it all on you. And, and I will have good reason to. Nobody can can fault me for for that. It's uh, it's actually an appropriate reaction. Yeah, I, I, I would I would have to agree. Actually, you know, as as the years have worn on, I, I would have to say that uh, Big Country stuck with me just a little bit more. But it's not as bad as the King of Bogans, Ed Inkster, who chose Culture Club over the Crossing. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs>